wrapping up our, our one another series. We might do a review of everything, but for several months we have been looking at various one another commands in the Bible, and um, many of those commands fall under the umbrella of the love one another. And we've looked at many of those exhortations that were given to us regarding our responsibilities to one another. Tonight is our responsibility to not do to one another, and I would, uh, I would much rather preach last Sunday night's message on hospitality. That's light and easy. Um, Marilyn said today after lunch, so what's your one another tonight? And I said, defraud not one another. And she said, man, you can go anywhere with that thing, or that could go a lot of directions. And, and I said, absolutely it could. But um, this, is, this is an issue that, because we believe the Bible, um, it would be easy to just overlook this and say, well, I don't want to mess with that. But this is another of the one another's that God gave to us. And so, um, with confidence in God's Word, we look to this tonight, and it is very, very needed in our society today and in our personal lives. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk, and how to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that is the Lord, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but to holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind, Paul is writing back to the believers in Thessalonica. He's writing to believers that may have been Christians only a few months. In a very real sense, they are baby Christians. He spent a few weeks there. <clears throat> in the Jewish synagogue, teaching a few more weeks, undoubtedly evangelizing um, Gentiles as well. And now he'd been gone for a few months, and writing back to them, he was deeply concerned for these people that they wouldn't be, fall victims to fall back into their 
old habits, their old ways of life because of the pressure of an ungodly and immoral culture. So when he finally gets to chapter 4, he gets into what he really wants to say to them. And the first thing on his list is this matter of immorality. The dominating idolatry of their day was sexual immorality as it is in our day today. And given the loose morals and the sexual laxity throughout the ancient world in the first century, the readers may have been wondering, why is this so important? After all, everybody behaves this way. What's the big deal? Which really makes it very relevant to our situation today. I, I give to you in this next section um, the theology of the God of immorality. And, and this was put out by John MacArthur. So I give credit to those. But this was so... Just made minor changes here. This is so descriptive of our day. And I believe... Many people don't put two and two together. But this is the day we, we live in. It was, the, it was the theology of immorality in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's the theology of immorality today. One, people are basically good. Everything they do is basically good. And their sexual activity is just a way to please others. Now, in case you haven't heard, we're going to be talking about sexual activities. I don't apologize for it. For too long in Christian circles, we haven't talked about it, or only in a bad sense. But now we have this full-fledged worldview that has taken over in Christian circles. And they believe, foundationally wrong, that all people are basically good, what they do is basically good, and their sexual activity is to please themselves and please others. That's, that's needless to say, an obvious lie. The truth is that immorality destroys instead of pleases, and um, we don't have the time to address each of these. Secondly, they believe that sexual activity is only a biological function like eating. It is a necessity that must be satisfied without restrictions. And, and honestly, I know to many of you it's like, wow, honestly, this is the norm of the world that we live in today. This is what they believe. Thirdly, casual sex is just a form of fun and pleasure it should be enjoyed recreationally with anyone who agrees at any time. Fourthly, fulfilling sexual desire is the goal of life rather than making meaningful re relationships. Number five, instant pleasure is much more important than delayed gratification. Grab it now, get it immediately. Number six, 
Good sex relations means a good relationship. So start every relationship with sex, and if it's good, it will lead to a good relationship. Live together to determine sexual compatibility, then you can decide whether you want to get married. That, right there, number six, nails right on the, the mentality of the vast, overwhelming majority of people, and sad to say, many times in Christian circles. Number seven, have safe sex so you don't get a disease or a baby, but if you get a baby, just kill it. That sounds strong, doesn't it? But that's the truth. This is the philosophy of the world. This is the philosophy that is promoted. This is why, this is why the fetal heartbeat bill runs into brick walls because, wow, this is a part of our philosophy. This is a, a last-ditch thing. Um, this is why when, when you stand for biblical principles of just, of just marriage, um, many of you don't understand the pressure young people are under today that if, if they follow biblical, biblical design, they are, they are considered whacked out and crazy. And as I mentioned, number six there, well, how do you know you'll even be compatible? But this is the world that Paul was addressing. This is the world that, that we live in today. And it's not anything new, and our society is rapidly being devastated. The result of, of this type of thinking is destroying families, and as a result of families being destroyed, society is literally eroding under our feet. And sad to say, many times, we as Christians are swept up with it. I mean, God has laid down numerous principles, and we don't have time to, to go in to cover this adequately. But our violation of God's principles are seen in every fiber of life. Um, it really shows up, and, and this you'll think this is a weird place that it shows up. It really shows up at funerals. And you say, what? The destruction of our families... I, I, I end up doing funerals with people I don't even know, and Dave can testify. We've talked about this. You walk into the funeral, and you can immediately sense that there is, there is division here. There is, there is major issues here. I, this last week, a situation, I, I can't even, but it literally broke my heart seeing a, a, a young person because of all this 
brokenness of the family just seated there, no one to comfort, no one, it was just, and it is, our society is a wreck because we've embraced this. I mean, you saw what's taught on college campuses, but what's taught in homes. So, Paul is writing to people in the same situations that we're in today, and and he says, he gives some exhortations, how to live pure in an impure world. Verse 4. Well, verse 3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you be set apart, that you be Christ-like, that you should abstain from fornication, unlawful sexual activity outside of marriage, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, that's our body, in sanctification and honor. God has designed us, we have a spirit, we have a mind, and we have a body. And God designed that the spirit should be the strongest. The spiritual part of our life should be the strongest, and it should dictate to us what we think. And then the mind should dictate to the body how it should act. This is God's design. The spiritual, the strongest. The spiritual controls the mind. The mind controls the body. We could do a series on what happens when you get that out of line. That's why we preach, be in the Word, be in the Word. You need to build the Spirit. If, if the Spirit part of our life is not strong, it doesn't matter what we think. Well, I want to go do right. If I haven't eaten anything for two weeks... And I say, I'm going to go out and cut wood today. I'm not going to cut much wood today. I may want to. I may mean to. I may give myself a a real pep talk. You can do it. I will have no strength. And again, I, I can't belabor this, but I can't emphasize it enough. This is why your relationship with God is the most, without a question, the most important part of your life. And, and you must allow that to dictate to your mind what you think. And then your mind must dictate to your body. God never intended our body and our earthly desires to rule us. Now, the philosophy of immorality that we mention, it's all, it rules. But we can't let... Our body control us. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. Control the vessel. Keep it in check. The spirit and the mind and the body. And then he says in verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, not in, in sensual desires, not in strong sensual desires, as the Gentiles who know not God. So he's saying, don't control your body like the philosophy of the world that we just listed the seven things of it. No, he said, no, not anything like that at all. And, and if you've been looking in your first Peter study, it's reiterating these same principles. 
But he's, he's saying, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, we have a new master that we talked about this morning. We have a different master. We have a better master. And there are no regrets with his, his plan. And, and so we're following him. We are not following the pagan philosophy of the world. Well, everybody's doing it. Well, no, not everybody should be doing it. As a follower of Christ, I have a different pattern that I am to follow. So he says, don't act like the godless pagans. And then, verse 6, this is where we get into the one another where he says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified. To defraud means, it's an interesting word, it means to selfishly and greedily take something at someone else's expense. In the context of what he's talking about, of um, immorality, it means defrauding is arousing desires in someone else that cannot be righteously met. So the simple statement, as he mentioned in this verse, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in this matter... This matter he's talking about is sexual sin. So the simple statement is, don't go beyond the limits that God has drawn. And by going beyond those limits, you are taking advantage of another believer in the matter of physical relations. He says, don't do that. Now, God has put up many limits in many different areas. And in in the whole aspect of physical relations, he's put up many limits. And those limits are put up for our good. Because he knows it's best for us. We believe in limits. You're thankful tonight that electricity is not just running throughout this building at willy-nilly. You're thankful. We have water running all around this building, heating this building. You're thankful. Water is a wonderful thing when it's where it belongs. But water is a horrible thing when it gets where it shouldn't be, when when it's out of control. Sex is a wonderful thing when it follows God's design. And He has put limits on And he said, this is for your protection. This is for your good. And he said, you defraud someone else when you stir up desires, when you go across the boundaries that God, and it goes without saying, but I can't let it go without saying, God only designed sexual relations to take place in marriage. Is that clear? There's no other way. And, and we can't excuse it. We can't. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. And this is vitally important for our happiness and for our good. We'll touch on this in just a moment. So, how do we defraud? 
Defrauding begins with impure thoughts. We begin stirring up desires that cannot be righteously satisfied when we allow our mind to go with impure thoughts. And like I said, um, there could be a series on every one of these points. But it begins there. Then defrauding takes place with, with um, another person, and, and I didn't know how else to say it, but just spending time together. There are, there's a difference between conversing with someone a little bit, or you start thinking, oh, they'll be there, I can spend time with them, spending unusual time together, especially if you're married and spending time with someone else in, man, there's so many avenues to go here, but you get the point. When, when your mind, and, and again, guarding our minds, keep, keeping our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. But, but then, you know what? Most times... Um, most marital infidelity does not happen by someone saying, I'm going to go commit adultery today. Most of the time, it develop, and, and studies have proven most of the time, it's not because of physical attraction. Most of the time, it's because they start spending time together, and this person seems to be showing an interest and acts like they're, they're really interested and care about me, and that's defrauding. And it happens in such regularity today. It's sad to say in Christian circles the same, but it happens... You know what? A man and woman go to work. They don't go to work in their sweats with their hair all messed up and bad breath and, and looking ugly, do they? They don't go to work. Most people don't go to work. You know, some people you know at your work do that. What happens? At work, you're seeing them at their very best. And you think, wow, they're really nice. They don't look like that all the time. They don't act like that all the time. And they're nice because you don't really know them. And yet, they start spending time, spending time. And then pretty soon they're doing lunch together. And, and oftentimes, it isn't started with, with a purpose. How do we defraud Spending time together, flirting. Then when it is the actual, this, and, and this, is, um, this is so important, it's not just in marriage either. But again, um, enough said, done the flirting aspect. Trying to get their attention, trying to arouse an interest in them. Stirring up a desire that can it be righteously met? Dressing provocatively, and I'm not putting all the, by no means am I putting all the weight on the woman, but um, we defraud. 
when we dress provocatively. I can't, I can't tarry here, but if you are interested, here is a book by Shanti Feldhand and Craig Gross that is entitled, Through a Man's Eyes, Helping Women Understand the Visual Nature of Men. I don't care what the world says, that men and women are the same. Common sense tells us they're not. And I know it's nigh unto impossible for a woman to truly understand how men view things. But it is, it is very important that you, you understand and that we as men understand the dangers that are here. And, and that we do not defraud. So, if you are at all interested, I recommend that you get this to help you understand that. Number, not a number, the next one is when we become emotionally attached. See, it begins in our mind, impure thoughts. And the impure thoughts may not be vile. They might be, oh, she looks like she treats her husband better than my wife's treating me. That's an impure thought. But then when, when you start getting emotionally attached, this, this was before anything else goes on. And right there, we have already... We've already violated this. We're defrauding one another. Again, um, there are other ways that we defraud, but if you would just remember, I want to be careful that I don't arouse desires that cannot be righteously satisfied, that cannot be... Um, in obedience to God, satisfied. So, he says, writing to these, in, immersed in a very wicked, their, their religious practices involve prostitutes and very wicked. He said, don't let your body control you. Don't act like the godless pagans. Don't take advantage of others. And then number four, verse six, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner. Why? Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Remember, God is the avenger in these matters. We violate God's standards. We, he puts up barriers on the road to keep us on the road so we don't pile it in the ditch. And we violate that. And God says, I don't take this lightly. And I will avenge this. And there are many, many, many consequences that spring up from violating God's moral standard in our life. And thankfully, God, God is a forgiving God and He is willing when we repent to forgive. But it's much better to avoid it than to need forgiveness for it. And everything in this area... It can be forgiven, but it also bears scars. And it is important that we understand in the fear of the Lord 
God is the avenger of this. The eye, Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He sees everything. And, and he sees the evil and the good. Number five in verse seven, notice what we read. He says, I've forewarned you, God is the avenger, God will bring justice. And then he says, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Obey God's call, sanctification. He hasn't called us to impurity. He has called us to, to righteousness. He's called us to, to holiness. He's called us to Christlikeness. And then he says in verse 8, He therefore that despiseth this teaching is not despising man. This is, this is not Pastor St. Lawrence's philosophy. And you can walk out and do whatever you want. It's not despising me at all. This is not despising man, but God, who hath also given us His Holy Spirit. If we reject this warning, we are rejecting the Spirit of God in our life. We are grieving the Spirit of God. We will not have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. We won't have those. And in many cases, this is why many individuals do not have the power of God at work in their life because they've, they've re resisted the Spirit of God. They've, they've violated His standard. The good news is that when we realize this, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The good news is Proverbs 28:13. He that covers his sin will not prosper. That's not the good news, okay? That's the warning. God is the avenger. If you cover your sin, if you hide it, you will not prosper. But whosoever confesses and forsakes it will have mercy. One of, the, one of the first, not necessarily the first thing, but one of the first things I go over in, in marriage counseling is, is refinding re the foundation of a fulfilled marriage. The foundation is Jesus Christ. But if we, if we violate God's standard, even though we're Christians, we're building walls that... that are unstable. We're building walls on a foundation that's littered with debris and, and garbage, and we're just building a wall on top of that. So there's nothing, there's no firm footing. And, and so, in many marriages, they, their wall starts teetering, they run around, oh, hold that wall, let's stabilize. Yeah, I think it's, think it's about, oh no, that wall's falling down over here. And we run over and... and and, oh yeah, I think, and finally they get tired of running around putting up walls and they say, I don't care, let the whole thing go down. I don't give a rip. I'm moving on to somebody else. The problem is we've never gone back and cleared the foundation. We've never gone back and said, God, we violated your standards. 
and we want to ask for your forgiveness, God is more than willing. He's eager to forgive. We violated your standards, God, and we want to ask your forgiveness, and we want to build a home that honors you. We want to possess our vessel in honor. We want to pursue sanctification, not impurity. We don't want to live like everybody else. We want to honor you. God says that if we confess and forsake, He will have mercy. And there are multitudes of testimonies of the mercies of God. But it must come back and say, God, we acknowledge this is Your plan. I mean... Who's the one that thought of male and female? Who's the one that thought of marriage? Who's the one that designed you? It's God written all over everything. And to say, okay, God, I can run this my own way, it'll end up in disaster. But when we confess and forsake, He will have mercy. And in all of this, He said, make sure you are not instrumental in defrauding others. And and this isn't just to women. It's men and women. It's young people. It's all of us. Make sure we're not stirring up desires that cannot be righteously satisfied. So, rather than wringing our hands, man, this world is bad. Did you see those seven things to what this world believes? Look how horrible it is. It is dark. But the encouraging part, you don't have to be a very bright light to be noticed in the dark. And, and honestly, they, they plunge in and live like, this is what the world, man, this will make me happy, this will fulfill me. There's no way that it does. Because God isn't in it. And there is no peace unto the wicked the Scriptures tell us. And so, if there ever was a day that we need Christians to show a difference, and that means, that means, I mean, being a student of marriage, what is God's design for marriage? And, and you know, every day you ought to be learning and, and desirous and, and praying and building around if there ever was a day that we need godly homes and we need godly young people that say, I'm going to follow God's design and I'm going to trust Him, it's today. And it is possible in Jesus Christ. And the thing is, I don't want you to miss this. There is healing in Jesus Christ. And He wants to, he wants to restore the brokenness. And He wants to bring healing as only He can. But we must yield to Him. We're going we're gonna to go to our prayer time praying for our nation. And if, if the, the matter today about the fetal heart bill and this issue tonight isn't...